The Education Channel supports individual educational goals and encourages creativity for all. Visit uctv.tv slash education. I'm Hillary. Um, I'm from Generation Z, so I grew up playing games. Um, I grew up playing handhelds, uh, PC games. Uh, not as much of a gamer as some of my peers, but gamer enough. And I'm also a co-founder at Dot Dot Fire which is an ethical and educational video game developer. And we recently released um, an educational game called The Neighbor Mood, which is a unique game that teaches consumer life skills and created in partnership with the NGO Foolproof, which is a trusted financial literacy curriculum in over 8,000 schools across the states. And with me here is Nadja, who I will let her introduce herself. Hi, hi, Hillary. hello, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for those of you that are going to be listening to us. Uh, my name is Nadja Strider. I am Programs Director at Game Quitters. I am also the founder of a private practice, Eyes Up Wellness, um, and chair of the Children's Screen Time Action Network, which is how Hillary and I uh, came to know each other. I, I would describe myself as somebody who treats digital-based illnesses. Um, one might be gaming addiction uh, or internet gaming disorder, if I want to use the proper clinical terms. Uh, but I also teach and promote and advocate for digital wellness. So, and, on top, and I'm also a parent. So I have that sort of hands-on um, experience both um, you know, in, in both in both seats as clinician and also as a parent. Just to start off, um, I don't know how many parents these days are into gaming. I know that I grew up gaming and a lot of millennials did as well. But gaming has really changed from what used to be what we thought of gaming. Because I grew up with Game Boys, handheld consoles. I think millennials grew up with Atari, um, the Nintendo... Uh, 64, things like that. And now the landscape's kind of shifted to mobile games and it's coming harder and harder to kind of not be gaming because it's just everywhere. And the realm of gaming covers such a broad landscape. Uh, I personally really don't know where to start when we say, when we start talking about gaming. And I'm sure Nadja has loads of experience with different people and different sort of gaming backgrounds and what people mean when they talk about gaming is really different as well. Um, so it'd be great if you could talk a bit about some um, main bit main bits about what the problem is with gaming these days, because we hear a lot about how a lot of kids are maybe addicted to gaming, things like that. I'd like to, um, you know, come back to your point about how we even define gaming and who the gamers are. So, you know, the average gamer is 34 years old and owns a home and has children. Um, gamer. So that would be somebody who plays games. Um, the, the greatest, uh, the population that is uh, beginning to game and on the rise more than any other are retirees. So they're also gaming. So, you know, is gaming playing Candy Crush? Is gaming, do we include, you know, Candy Crush? Do we include chess? Is gaming anything we do online or is being a gamer what, you know, or the what we think of the stereotype of sort of the World of Warcraft or, you know, newer would be Fortnite. Is that gaming? So we have the challenge of even just, you know, defining this, but 
certainly among our youth, and since our audience is parents here, certainly amongst our, our youth, uh, we have some pretty clear ideas about what gaming is. And, you know, from, from a game design standpoint, uh, it has definitely become more of a, a predatory, you know, experience. And there are applications of um, psychological tactics like uh, variable rewards, intermittent rewards and variable rewards combined with fixed rewards. And, you know, we understand that this is how we keep somebody on screen. Uh, because it's it's really nice to see your progress, and that would be the the fixed reward. And when you don't know when you're going to actually get um, another type of reward, so leveling up, let's say in the first couple levels of a game, might come relatively easily. You understand what will happen when you level up, but then to spice things up a little and keep people interested, the the next level may not come so easily or the ne next level may not produce the same kinds of rewards. So you can see that, you know, just like a slot machine, like people keep putting quarters in, there's that, that same desire to continue uh, certain kinds of gaming. Yeah, definitely. Like as a developer, creating the neighbor mood was certainly a challenge because we really understand like where other game developers are coming from when you're trying to get kids and adults hooked on the game and you want to monetize the game. These are easy ways to really make money and profit off it. Uh, for us, we could see the appeal of putting loot boxes, um, having those uh, pay gates where it's like you're running out of stuff and how to, how to take advantage of people. Those things are are there and as developers it's really clear to us where where these moments are so we can see why it's kind of shifted into this sort of landscape and um think we as developers definitely see this as part of the problem with uh problematic gaming these days i'm not sure what your experiences are as as a therapist as well well, I mean, you're, you know, speaking to sort of an ethical question here because everybody who creates a product wants as many users um, and as many re-users re and repurchasers. So trying to, you know, what are the ethics of creating something that has a lot of value, whether that value is purely entertainment or that value is educational or some combination of, of both, you know, what are, what's your ethical obligation there is always a question, you know, that I, I'm fascinated by. And one of the reasons I'll, I'll give a little pitch to your organization and your game is that there was consideration to, you know, the ethical development and how we we're going to use a fun tool, how you would use a fun tool to teach uh, some critical skills. So, but when you have, um, when you have accessibility, so you've got, you know, you mentioned mobile gaming. So mobile gaming has made gaming just so much more accessible on the bus, in the doctor's office, uh, at recess, you know, at lunch, you've got this accessibility, you've got um, an enormous range of types of games. There's, there is literally something for every genre, you know, every person's interest. So when you combine, uh, you know, 
lots of different elements. But when you combine those two elements in particular, and then of course now add in, you know, the pandemic, um, that's definitely another factor. But when you add those in, you add a lot of stimulation in, then it's very easy to move from healthy recreational gaming into a more problematic type of gaming. And parents are really concerned about that, you know, as they should be, but not uh, alarmist. Like, I don't want to arouse any moral panic here because I, I don't think there needs to be. People understand what the issues are. Yeah, and I think what you said about how um, the line between problematic gaming and healthy, fun gaming really brings to light that like not all gaming is bad. I mean, as a developer, I'm ob- obligated to say this and believe that some games must be good. But I genuinely think that some games you can just have good old-fashioned fun with. And um, of course... Dot Dot Fire primarily makes educational games, so there's the educational value. But even with games that are available commercially, there are some games that have some sort of value to kids in an educational way as well. I mean, some of my friends are huge history buffs, not because they paid attention in class or anything, but because they played a whole load of historically-based grand strategy games. And I think... Right now, as technology is such a big thing in our lives, it's getting harder and harder to avoid gaming. And it's just kind of, how do I find games that I'm actually enjoying? How do I make sure my kids are playing the right game? Um, Hillary, you mentioned, you know, uh, friends of yours, people that you know, becoming interested in history uh, uh, because of their you know, they're gaming and there sort of is this bi-directional relationship and there can be a bi-directional relationship because if you think about it, you know, there might be experiences or places or activities, you know, or even just, you know, role play and fantasy that you would never have an opportunity to experience or engage in that might foster an interest. So, you know, inadvertently, um, there can be a lot of good that comes out of gaming. And it's kind of funny because here I am as the representative of game quitters, but, you know, I'm beginning to conceptualize this more and more as not quitting gaming, but being able to quit the game that you're playing in the moment that you need to be quitting the game. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, one of the things that we see a lot in these new kind of mobile games is really repetitive gameplay and with kind of gameplay and techniques that really market to kids that keep them kind of hooked on it. And I personally think that a lot of kids should be cut some slack, really, because these freemium games especially are basically giant marketing, marketing machines. And even as an adult, sometimes I fall prey to different sorts of marketing. I see an ad and I'm like, ooh, that looks great. So as kids, if you have that integrated into your game, it's really no wonder why they're kind of just so hooked into and sucked into this ecosystem. And I I really think that kids need to be cut some slack and adults need to be more aware and really help them realize this and kind of guide them towards games that have more value, as you said, for, for them as people. Right. So 
And that is really important. It's important for parents to, I mean, I'm, I sort of feel like I always stick up for the kids again, even though I'm, you know, because there is a, there is definitely a generation gap, you know, in many cases between parents understanding what their kids are doing and, and, you know, the, how compelling games are. And if it becomes, you know, they, they fear that this is their only interest, you know, and I sort of laugh because, Parents really want their kids to have some primary interests. It's just now they've chosen an interest that they don't approve of. Um, but, you know, context. So I think in terms of context, you know, where are you playing? Uh, are you playing at school? You know, that's a no. Um, so, you know, are you playing? Is Are you another is, again, content? You know, there's a lot of conversation about violent video games and do they do they promote violence um because gaming in its current format is relatively new compared to other let's say substances or experiences that we've had it's really hard to find longitudinal data that can absolutely say you know one can demonstrate one way or another whether there's a causation there so you know, can games, um, it is fairly popular to think that games can cause aggression and we see aggression associated with games, but there's no aggression allowed, <laughs> you know, in, in like kids are not allowed to be aggressive, um, anywhere else really like they're they're really limited and they get these mixed messages about so get out there in the world and be aggressive get out there on the field and be aggressive but oh my goodness you know that game is making you aggressive so that that's really confusing i think parents also need to look at their own um media use and media habits or digital habits not in any way uh, you know they may not have a choice but explaining that to their children, you know, that they're doing whatever, what they're doing may be a requirement, not necessarily a choice. You know, those open lines of communication help children to develop some critical thinking skills around this. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think a lot of thought regarding this sort of stuff went into our development of the neighbor mood as well. We were there thinking, okay, when is an appropriate time to remind kids that maybe it's time to go outside? We have a 30 minute screen time limiter where if the, when the kid gets there, it's like, why don't you go outside and apply what you've learned in game outside as well? And I, I just found it really ironic that most games are there selling things to kids while where they're developing a game so that kids can say no to sellers. And <laughs> that, that's, I think that's one of the funniest things about the current landscape of mobile gaming and we're just more games need to be there trying to see where how to prevent kids from really sucking themselves into this hole and as a developer i think the industry needs to change as well to become kind of more ethical in this way so that the onus isn't put on the kid for being more responsible than they probably should be at that age to be able to have that self-restraint. And because we're putting a lot of pressure on the kids, we're telling them this is bad, but at the same time, this is okay through our actions, like you said. 
Um, I spend a lot of time on my phone checking work emails. I'm sure a lot of parents do as well. So we're telling them it's basically okay to be on technology, but when they're on their technology, we're like, it's time to stop. So what can parents really do when they have this kind of dichotomy and how can they really communicate with their kids on on their gaming habits? I mean, I firmly believe that not all games are bad. Some games are actually really good for you. So as a parent, how, how do you you start that conversation. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of all in about the lean in. So, you know, common complaint that I get from parents is them. They're not wanting to have to police. Like they, they don't want to have to police their kids. And to your point, it's really not fair to expect kids to be able to self-regulate when, you know, it's, it's something that, has been designed to really keep them, you know, looking and playing and engaging. So this is, you know, I try to develop new frameworks to think about this. And what's most recently come to mind is I say to parents, so I'd like you to pretend um, that you have a distillery in your basement and a cannabis field in your backyard. And then I'd like you to look at me and tell me, Um, that you wouldn't feel the need to police. So if you can kind of just pretend that's the world you're living in, then you can at least get over, you know, that, that expectation that policing or is, is not going to be required, excuse me, and instead move to, all right, how am I going to monitor? How am I going to teach? And one of the ways that I think one does that is to lean in. So for example, what's the favorite game? Why is it the favorite game? Do you have an avatar? What's the avatar? Like, tell me about the avatar. If your kids are on Discord, jump on Discord also. You know, some parents report that that has become their primary way of, you know, uh, chatting. Not that they don't have verbal conversations, but chatting in terms of if, if you text your child, you text them in Discord. That's that's the land that they live in. So, you know, there's some there are lots of activities that you can do where if you if you decide to embrace and um, then you can have intelligent and informed conversations with your kids about, you know, what they're doing, what your values are, why something doesn't align with your values and, and hopefully steer them towards games that are you know, age appropriate and pro-social and not built to be uh, addictive, but, you know, built to add value and enhance life. So those are some of my starting points. Yeah. And I think um, in terms of how to find games that add value, usually for myself, a good starting point is if you're paying for a game once, then usually you're paying for quality content that a developer has created. So you're, it's like buying a book. You're paying the author because they've written a great book. You're paying a developer because they've created a great game. Um, whereas freemium models, which is most of what you see on the app store these days, which is just free, free, free. And then halfway down the line, you find out that once you run out of stuff, they'll do microtransactions of a dollar each time. They're the ones that eat at you constantly and have to have those kind of repetitive, addictive type gameplays imbued into it. 
so that you continue paying. So in general, I know that a lot of people think that in the digital age, everything digital should be free. But the fact is, if it's free, it's probably trying to get money from you elsewhere. And for us developing the neighbor mood, we were only able to keep it completely and totally free and without any sort of advertising, without any sort of microtransactions, because we were so committed to the commercial free cause and we want to use it as a tool to really show the gaming industry what sort of ethical standard that it should be at. So I guess to kind of sum it up, if you're paying for it, then you'll know you won't be paying for it later. And the chances of it being actual quality content that your child will enjoy are actually much higher. So imagine now, like, like, let's make that into a parent-child conversation. So think about child says, hey, I want to get this new game. And, you know, one of the common questions, first questions is, how much is it? Child says it's free. So now that's the red flag moment right there for the parent, you know, and that's a, that can be a new red flag moment for them to sit down and say, all right, well, why is this game free? What, you know, let's look at the components that allows something uh, that somebody spent time to develop. There were salaries paid, you know, there's, there's marketing involved. So what's behind it being free? And to teach some analysis of that to your children. So if it's free to start, as you said, then you know somewhere down the line there's going to be a cost. And depending on what that cost is, you know, if the cost comes in the form of, let's say, loot boxes, um, then, you know, loot boxes are basically gambling. It's a gambling with virtual goods. You know, you're, you're buying a chance to get something that you don't even know what it's going to be. And that game of chance, the earlier that you're exposing kids to gambling, the greater the likelihood to become problematic gamblers later in life. So, you know, that just that free or freemium model is the red flag that can stimulate a conversation and, you know, is uh, in line with the theory of lean in here, you know, keep those conversations going, make some decisions around that. Maybe it's better to buy a game. Yeah, I I definitely support buying games myself. And there are some games that are truly free. We've just created one, but that's because we have people behind us who believe in the cause. And if your child does play a free game, just figure out why it's free. Some of it might be great. Some of it might be not so great. And I guess the most important thing really is starting the conversation with your kids about gaming, because I feel like in the 21st century, it's very hard to just go with a sort of reductionist attitude where it's just you can't really ban kids from playing games, not when they're surrounded by iPads and iPhones and computers and whatnot. Well, also schools are using games, you know, to teach. I mean, there, you know, there, and there's all, there's a whole movement, um, you know, a whole group of activists and a whole movement to examine, you know, what that's about. And is there going to be some oversight regarding which educational games are predatory, you know, and which educational games are not. And, and or, you know, is data collection or privacy, you know, an issue. So, 
the more you know about it, you know, our world is becoming gamified. I mean, I don't think there's any, you know, any going back now on that. Genie's out of the bottle. So the more parents um, understand the world and the more they can have informed conversations, you know, the the greater the likelihood of positive outcomes. And and that is asking a lot, you know, and I recognize that. It's not like I'm going to sit here and say, well, you parents should do this. Um, it's really not fair. I mean, this is a very challenging time to be a parent because you've got an entire universe um, that didn't exist with no generational wisdom to draw on. You know, you can't ask your, your, uh, I can't ask my mom, how did she handle screens? <laughs> that wasn't an issue then. I mean, the issue then was not watching too much TV. And oh boy, I know every parent wishes that was their big problem now, get, get away from the TV. So, you know, I, I like also that you'll have this um, ethical mindset and that you've got also backers. You know, you're able to offer games um, that are free and legitimately free because you've also got backing of organizations that are trying to promote good in the world. So that's another thing parents can look at, like who's the developer? What, what's their model? Yeah, well, I think this has been a really great conversation. Thank you for joining me, Nadja. And for all the parents out there, hopefully this will help you kickstart some conversation with your kids because let's um, all be gaming healthily for the 21st century. <laughs> <laughs>